Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast. How do you navigate anxiety and depression? What does it look like to walk through that well in a redemptive and a hopeful way? I'm really excited to talk about these topics today with one of my mentors and friends, Dr. J.P. Moreland, in his brand new book, Finding Quiet, my story of overcoming anxiety and the practices that brought peace. Now, Dr. J.P. Moreland is one of the leading evangelical thinkers of our day. He's a distinguished professor of philosophy at Talbot School of Theology and director of the Eidos Christian Center. With degrees in philosophy, theology, and chemistry, Dr. Moreland has taught theology and philosophy at several schools throughout the U.S. and authored numerous books, and we've had him on the podcast many times. He also teaches our students here at Impact 360 Fellows, and he was one of my professors and mentors, and I really just am looking forward to this conversation. So, uh, JP, thanks for joining us today. It's such a privilege always to be with you, Jonathan. Well, thank you. Thank you. And so what I want to do is start with, you know, normally when we have these conversations, we typically talk about what people might think of as more academic topics or life of the mind topics of loving God with all your mind or challenging scientism and different things like that, evidence for the existence of God. And those are all really important. But you've written a different kind of book in this book, Finding Quiet. So maybe share a little bit of your story about kind of how you came to write a book like this, and then we'll talk about it as we go. Well, when I was born, I had a genetic predisposition to a what's called generalized anxiety disorder. My mom, my grandfather, my aunts and uncles, and my cousins on my mom's side of the family were all plagued with very severe anxiety. And I inherited a disposition towards it. That doesn't mean I was determined to have it, but I did have a natural inclination toward it. I was raised in a very fearful family. My father died when I was in second grade. And all throughout my life, I I had anxiety and depression, but it was not overwhelming. It was something that I was able to bounce back from. But in 2003, I finished a, a school year that was one of the most stressful times I'd ever had. And in, uh, In May of 2003, Jonathan, I I literally had a nervous breakdown that lasted seven months, and I was completely dysfunctional. I could not, I was afraid when the phone rang, I was having daily panic attacks and so on. Well, I I got some help and got in some counseling and, and got on some medication. And for about 10 years, it was better. I was okay. But again, I had another very stressful year in 2013, and I had my second breakdown of my life that lasted five months, and I actually had to quit teaching, and they had to put other people to take my classes over for me. At that time, I decided, with God's help, that I never wanted this to happen to me again. So, Jonathan, I dedicated myself to doing research. I must have read 40 books on anxiety and depression and spiritual growth and formation. And what I did is I took what I learned 
and found the very most important things that I wanted to try, and I began to practice. There were four of them, but I, and there are other information, but I began to do these things, and I have become a very, very different person. And my family, friends, and others notice that there is a peace and a joy in my life, and I have not had any significant anxiety and no depression for over three years. And I went through eight surgeries, two bouts of radiation, chemotherapy. I had a pacemaker put in. I had two different kinds of cancer, life-threatening. And I was just, I have to be honest, I was happy as a clam during that whole time because the things that are in the book, Finding Quiet, actually worked. And that's why I put them in there because they really do work. Well, I first want to thank you for sharing that story, and I was—I've known you through some of those years and that journey, and that's so encouraging to hear. Just your journey of growing your understanding of these things, and that you have offered these in this book that people can now think about. Because sometimes people think, okay, well, maybe this is not that widespread, but maybe let's start there. How widespread is anxiety today and depression? Yeah, good question. This last year, it became the number one mental health issue in the country, surpassing depression, actually. But uh, anxiety and depression impact uh, anywhere from 20 to 40 million Americans. And uh, it is absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about because the way that American life is structured today, it naturally causes people to have anxiety and depression. And so it is widespread. And, and the good news in the, that I mentioned in the book, there is honest hope that you can get well and you can get better. You don't have to stay with this and say, I'm stuck with this the rest of my life. That is not true. And there are things you can do to get over it. And I will tell you, my brother, A lot of people listening to us right now are facing severe anxiety and depression, and and it's bothering them, or they know somebody who is. (laughs) Right, absolutely, and and I think it's only increasing in the next generation in Gen Z as well, and and increasing anxiety and depression and all those things there. And I I love your hopeful message there, because I think a lot of people just feel uh, guilt or shame, especially as Christians, where they think, well, yes. maybe maybe if I really loved God or if I was spiritual enough, then I would never feel this way or think these things. Is that how would you encourage somebody just maybe listening to that right now um, that they feel that way that that's what they that's what their daily experience is? Well, you have to realize that the fall of Adam and Eve literally is an event that actually took place. And as a result of that, we're born into this world very deeply broken people. We're not functioning the way we're supposed to function. And we grow up in a world that's messed up. Our family systems, even if our moms and dads love us, they're still broken people themselves. And man, by the time you're seven, eight, nine, ten years old, you are kind of damaged goods. And uh, if you you can love God with all your heart, but that's not going to take away the fact that you're still broken and damaged. Those are consistent. 
And so what you have to do is to realize that there's absolutely no shame or guilt in anxiety and depression. That, that, that's just not something to be shamed of. That's like being ashamed of being fallen. Well, I mean, there is a certain shame if you mean I'm sad that I'm, I'm not what I ought to be, fair enough. But look, it's not going to do any good to beat yourself over the head with it because you can't help your fall. And what you can do, though, is you can begin to start looking into how you can get rid of these things and grow. So turn mm-hmm. your focus away from shame and guilt to hopeful growing and seek to grow out of it. Absolutely. Now, you talk about this in your book, Finding Quiet, and you talk about a holistic approach to healing anxiety and depression. What, what do you mean by that, and why does it matter to be a holistic approach as we engage these things? Well, you have to realize that in the scriptures, we are souls because when we die, we leave our bodies for a period of time. And so we don't need a body to live, but while we're in our bodies— Our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our spirit, and our body all work together. They function together like all the parts of a computer function together so that if one part of the computer is broken, it can affect other parts of the computer. So what that means is that there are parts of our body that are actually contributing to our anxiety and depression. And what we have to do is to learn to present, especially our brain and our heart muscle, uh, to God as instruments of righteousness or, or shalom, because the body is part of the problem. Uh, it's also the, the way we think and the soul and all. It's the whole. Mm. It's all of us. And so... This is one of the reasons why I think medication can be helpful to people under a doctor's supervision because it's like oil in a car engine. If the car runs out of oil, the parts are going to rub up against one another. And when your brain runs out of oil, which is called neurotransmitters or serotonin and so on, then you can try all you want to not be anxious And the problem is the parts of your brain aren't going to function until they get oil in there again. And medication is just fundamentally oil. What it does is restores to your brain the chemicals that your brain isn't producing right now. I think of it as a vitamin for the brain or oil. But medication is biblical uh, because of the role that the organs of the body play in mental and spiritual well-being. Now, that's really helpful, and I love how practical you made that and very helpful descriptions, as well as freeing people from some of that guilt and shame, but recognizing we live in a fallen world. Yes, we're made in God's image by God's good design, but we've been deeply affected by the fall, and that has implications for us in everyday life as we're kind of in the, in between what will be when we'll be ultimately restored and all things are, are made new. Now, in, in your book, you talk about habits. Say a little bit about what a habit is and what role habits play in being anxious and depressed. Well, in the book, uh, Jonathan, I give the reader uh, an approach to defeating anxiety and depression that is deeply rooted in both Scripture 
and in scientific discoveries about anxiety and depression, and they go together. And uh, one of them is that habits are tendencies to feel or act or think a certain way without choosing to do so. Think of golf. Uh, a person who swings the golf club has habits of swinging, and some of those habits are good habits, and some of them are bad habits, and those habits literally reside in the muscle memory in certain regions of the person's body. So, for example, it might be his wrists and his shoulders, but his hips and legs and, and feet and so on are really good, but his bad habits are in his shoulders and wrists and so on. So what you have to do is that you have to present those parts of your body to a golf instructor as instruments of golf <laughs> flourishing and shalom and righteousness, which just means so that those parts of the body will be good at golf and not count against your game. And what does it mean to present them? Uh, it means that you do certain things that the golf instructor says over and over and over and over and over again so that the old bad habits and grooves in your muscle memory are wiped away and they're replaced with new grooves and new habits. And that's what I, what Paul says in, in Romans 6, that we are to present the members and the regions of our body, the members would be our organs, like the stomach and fasting, the facial region and lips would be a region in silence and giving off a smile, let's say. And what you do is you present these to God as instruments of shalom or peace or well-being or happiness. Now, you don't just come to the Lord and say, have my body. No, you take specific organs and you train them by doing things over and over and over again to get rid of bad anxiety and depressive triggering habits that reside in the members of your body, especially your brain and heart, and you replace them with grooves that naturally trigger peace and joy. Hmm. And so uh, the brain and the heart muscle are the two organs or members, as Paul would say in Romans 6, that have to be presented to God over and over and over again because anxiety is not entirely, but it is significantly a learned habit. And those habits reside in the grooves of the brain and the grooves of the heart muscle. Hmm. The heart muscle has a ton of neurons in it, and both of them have triggering grooves that trigger depression and negative self-talk and fear and a, and a half-empty way of looking at life. And you can't just will yourself to be different. Like you can't will yourself to be good at golf. You've got to train yourself. And I've got four exercises in the book and, and a ton of other ideas too, but four major exercises that if a person will train themselves to do these anywhere from 20 days to six months, the average is two and a half months, a person will form peace and joy habits rather than anxiety and depression. 
No, that's extremely helpful and I think hopeful. So let, let's get really practical. Let's say somebody is struggling with anxiety and depression, and you talk about these these four steps. Could you kind of walk through them kind of at a flyover level and then maybe kind of slow it down and go through each one and pick a practical example of daily life and how you might, you know, relabel or the different steps that you talk about in, in your book, Finding Quiet? Absolutely. Well, let me touch on one of the four habits, and it's called the four-step solution. Now, this involves negative self-talk. What happens is that we have formed the habit of talking to ourselves in distorted ways. My distortion was always what if in the future. Well, gosh, what if this happens? And then I would catastrophize it and make it, oh my gosh, if that happened, it's going to be terrible. And then I'd spend all my time worrying about how I'm going to make sure that if that does happen, I've got myself protected. That's just one. But there are t- I list 10 in the book, and these are ways that we talk to ourselves and talk about reality in a way that just without us knowing it, because most of it is almost subconscious, we end up depressed and anxious, and we don't know why. Hmm. And it's because we've been telling ourselves these are habits. And so the first thing that you have to do is you invite the Spirit's help. And you have to learn to catch these messages when they pass through your mind. Uh, So no free pass anymore. You start practicing listening for them. And as soon as you spot one of these messages, oh my gosh, I'm a loser. Or the people didn't in the meeting, I embarrassed myself. They didn't like me. You catch one of those and you first of all, You relabel it. You say, wait a minute. This is nothing but a brain message that's a triggered habit. It's got nothing to do with reality. It's just a bad habit, and that's all this is. The second thing you do is that you reframe it or label it. And that means that you actually – I have a list of the ten major ways that we – distortedly talk to ourselves in the book and you find the one or two or three or four that you're <laughs> really good at. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's and, not, it's not good to be good at those. <laughs> it's not, and then you label it and you say, not only are you just a distorted brain habit, but you are emotional reasoning. Uh, and that's what you are. You're nothing. There's no truth in you. So now what you've done Uh, is taking the power out of the idea. The third step is the absolute most important, and that's what's called refocusing, and this is what changed my life. See, I used to, when I'd have a thought, I used to get down in the mud and argue with it, Hmm. tell myself, reason it through, and this isn't going to happen, and if it did, it won't be so bad. And what I didn't know I was doing is I was digging the groove deeper in my brain for that thought to become an even deeper habit, harder to get rid of. I didn't know that. So what I started doing in step three was refocusing, which means that now that you've taken the power out of the message, you turn away from it and you focus your attention on something that will get you into what's called flow. Now, flow is when you get so caught up in something, you kind of lose track of time. 
And it could be reading a novel. It could be searching the Internet. It could be singing Christian music. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be spiritual, but anything that you can do that will take you away from that thought and get you wrapped up in some activity so your mind is distracted. And that can last for five to 30 minutes, depending on how good you get at this. I I can do it in two minutes now. But after you do that, then, believe it or not, Jonathan, you can go back to the thought that triggered all this anxiety and depression. And I'm honestly telling you, the power is taken out of it. And so what you can do is go back to it and reevaluate how you did. What can I learn from this? Now, remember, anytime you're learning a new habit or practice, you're going to be a failure at it in the early weeks of learning it. That goes for tennis, piano, and for getting rid of anxiety with this technique, which is thoroughly biblical. It's how you take your thoughts captive to Christ. But remember, if you do this, it's not going to work in the early stages. You're going to get distracted, and you're going to lose your focus because you're You're brand new, learning how to do something new. Stick with it, because I assure you, over the days and weeks, you'll get better and better. And you know what? I kid you not. After a while, it will become literally second nature. I don't even think about it now when I do this, because it's part of my character. I've formed it as a habit. So that's one of the four, and that's an example of what I'm talking about in day-to-day life. Uh, as to how you do this one particular practice. That is really helpful. And as we've talked about and you kind of make clear in your book, this is not just, hey, just kind of some ideas you've come up with. This is rooted in neuroscience about how the brain works and, and all of that, right? This is this cooperates with the way we were designed, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And Scripture even talks about focusing on things that are good and true and having your mind dwell on those. Well, how do you do that? How do you take thoughts captive to Christ? This is how you do it. This is a practical way that you do that. So yes, biblically rooted and scientifically rooted. Yeah, so it's it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. These this takes those things and puts them together. And so that's what I love about your approach in this book. My conversation right now is with Dr. JP Moreland. The book we're talking about is Finding Quiet, My Story of Overcoming Anxiety and the Practices that brought peace. And just uh, one of the endorsements on the back of the book, um, Dr. John Townsend, who's the New York Times bestselling author of Boundaries, said this, a personal, vulnerable, and instructive guide from his own narrative to what has helped him and what can make a difference to the reader. His biblical references are especially enlightening, highly recommended. So, so many good endorsements of this book and this conversation so needed because so many people struggle with anxiety and depression. And there's this kind of cycle of guilt and shame, and I don't really need this sort of thing, but you've in this book, Finding Quiet, really talked about your own story and journey, and then talked about the best in in biblical thinking as well as neuroscience to bring those together into practical, actionable things that actually help. So we've talked about one, and that idea of, of kind of relabeling and refocusing, we just talked about that. What's another way that you would suggest that's helpful for people if they struggle with anxiety and depression? Scientists have discovered Uh, may be the most life-changing 
a habit to form of any of them. It's, it's way, way up at the top. They discovered that doing this is even more important in life than having hope, if you can believe that. Wow. Uh, I have a little trouble believing that, but boy, that just tells you. And it's the regular practice of expressing gratitude. Now, the funny thing is only a believer can do that hmm. unless it's uh, gratitude to somebody else because you can't express gratitude to a law of karma or to the universe. You've got to express it to a person. Um, you can be happy that there's sunset over Maui, and you can love it, but you can't be grateful for it if there's no God. But um, what they've discovered is that if you will get up in the morning and if several times during the day, you will stop for two, three, four minutes, that short, and simply express and dwell on four or five things and express gratitude for them. And they have to be things you're really grateful for, not things you're supposed to be grateful for. Hmm. So I'm not kidding. It could be. When you get up, you express gratitude because you so love that morning cup of coffee that you can't wait to get in there and get that made. And you say, Lord, I am honestly thankful that you made coffee and that I get to have my morning cup every morning. Uh, it could be uh, it doesn't have to be something spiritual. It could be it could be an answer to prayer. It could be a verse that is just a treasure but you have to give thanks for things that you really are thankful for. Now, let's suppose that you are depressed and anxious and you're not thankful for anything. You just feel terrible. Okay, then go ahead and give thanks, even if you don't mean it, because you, you're not a hypocrite if you mean to mean it. In other words... <laughs> If you want to mean it, but you don't mean it, then you got to start somewhere. Right. And the way to eventually get to where you do mean it is to start saying it anyway. And after a while, you'll actually come to the point where you mean the things you're grateful for. And they have found that expressing gratitude to God several times a day throughout your day changes a person over time from half empty to half full. And I'll tell you, it's very hard to be anxious and depressed when you have become a half full person. Tremendously helpful and very practical. But you won't be good at it in the early stages, but stick with it. You know, that's really helpful in learning to be grateful. And I, and I even, I really appreciate, you know, just what are you honestly grateful for? Like, I love Mexican food. So I'm like, Lord, Lord, thank you for guacamole. This is, this is, this is awesome. What a gift. You know I mean? So again, you know, those are good things, right? And so sometimes I think we make the spiritual life too spiritual. If you know what I mean? We're like, well, I guess I should, you know, it needs to have all the biblical sounding language to be spiritual. And, and what I love right. about what you're saying here is, no, just start with God right where you're at and invite them into that process and practice. Yeah. And so I, I love that. Well, you know, I mean, there's so many good things we could talk about in your book, Finding Quiet. It's so helpful. But maybe what's one hope that you would have for someone who picks up this book and and what you think is unique about the approach that you're laying out here? 
for those who are suffering from anxiety and depression or know somebody who is, I am your fellow sojourner. I know what it's like. I've been there. I, I am one with you. I know what you're going through. And I want you to know that the book that I have written is a book that's come out of my own discovery of things that really do work. And the book is unique. There are fresh new ideas that you probably have never heard of. They're biblically grounded and scientifically grounded. And there is real hope in this book. I would not tell you that if it weren't true. And this book is not a substitute for counseling or other, but it is something that can help you get well and to get rid of these terrible things in our lives. And so that's my hope. And thank you, Jonathan, for letting me be with you today. Oh, absolutely. No, I always enjoy it. Well, one last thing, just because I know it's important in, in regard to this conversation. What role have other people played in your journey of helping remind you of these things? Maybe um, your, your wife in this or other people. And how does that work um, in that dynamic of taking some of these steps forward? Extremely helpful because you need support. You need to have friends that will listen to you if you need to process what's going on. And they'll listen to you 50, 75 times. They, they, won't, they won't get tired. They'll just stick in there and, and be a sounding board, even if you've said it 100 times, because sometimes you just need that outlet. Uh, they will remind you and speak truth uh, into your life and help to correct your distorted thinking. And having family or friends, especially somebody that you can have as a confidant, uh, is tremendously important. And remember, don't be ashamed or embarrassed. You haven't done anything wrong. You just need to, though, grow and to get rid of this. That's really helpful. And again, my conversation right now has been with Dr. J.P. Moreland. Uh, the book is Finding Quiet. And so I hope that as you're listening to this right now, maybe you're walking around the neighborhood, maybe you're commuting into work, I hope that you're finding some hope in how do I navigate and take these thoughts captive? And when I'm anxious or when I'm depressed, how do I build these healthy habits of gratitude and kind of reframing and refocusing and relabeling and all these important things that Dr. Moreland talked about? I hope you'll pick one to begin applying to your life. Maybe just start with that gratitude piece. Just begin thanking God every morning for those things that you're truly grateful for. What a powerful new habit to start doing. And I want to let you know that here at Impact 360 Institute, we want to be an ally for you in this. We want to help you learn to follow Jesus with more confidence and, and clarity in this world. And we provide experiences for high school and college-age students from our summer experiences to propel and immersion to fellows, which is our nine-month gap year, where we help them own their faith and think through all these things of worldview formation, including how do you navigate? We know what does this look like when you're anxious and depressed and doing life and everything else. So if we can be a resource to you in that, you can find more information about that at impact360.org. I also want to let you know, if you care about the next generation, that we've just wrapped up our first season of Gen Z Lab, which you can 
access for free at genzlab.com and catch up on that conversation as we get ready for season two. But again, JP, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time and writing this book and being honest and vulnerable to talk about these challenges that you faced in these dark seasons that you faced that I know so many other people face but they're just ashamed to talk about them or they think I'm the only one. And I love how you've given voice to that and hope to that in this brand new book, Finding Quiet, My Story of Overcoming Anxiety and the Practices That Brought Peace. So thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with you, my brother. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live. Live.